we fundamentally believe the world of profit and purpose is the world of the future. And we need thousands more entrepreneurs and startups building impact-driven companies. Welcome back to 40 Minute Mentor, the podcast brought to you by JBM and a series that's sponsored by ChipperCash, the African cross-border payments company trusted by over 4 million users. I'd like to give Chipper a huge shout out for sponsoring this series. And if you'd like to be part of their mission to unlock global opportunities and bring Africa together one transaction at a time, head over to chippercash.com forward slash careers to find out more. And if you haven't heard it already, please do check out our episode with Chipper's founder, Ham Serenjoji, as he shares his story of how he turned Chipper from an idea to a $2 billion valued fintech. We'll leave the link in the show notes. But now on to today's episode. I'm joined by not one, but two 40-minute mentors. First up, we have the incredible Natalie Graham, co-founder of Uncommon Creative, an award-winning creative studio building brands that matter. And Orr Weingold, co-founder of Unrest, a consumer-focused impact accelerator fueling the fire of entrepreneurs challenging the status quo. With decades of marketing experience between them, working in and with both startups and big corporates, as well as industry legends such as Sir Martin Sorrell, I couldn't think of two better people to chat about what it takes to build next generation purpose-driven brands. I have also had the great pleasure of working with them both via my role as an investor and board advisor in Unrest. So this was an extra special and really fun chat for me with two brilliant leaders who share some amazing advice. So whether you're a startup founder, are keen to work for a purpose-driven brand, or you're just in need of some midweek inspiration, I'm sure you'll learn tons from their mentorship over the next 40 minutes. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with the brilliant Natalie Graham and Orr Vinegold. Orr and Natalie, welcome to the 40 Minute Mentor. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Very good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very well. I have managed to dodge COVID. It's in my house right now and I'm the only one that hasn't got it. So <laughs> uh, I might not be okay in a week, but right now I'm, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling good. We are yeah, absolutely thrilled to have you on the podcast today and would love to do what we always do and start with some quick fire questions. So I think we'll go ladies first, Natalie, if that's okay. We'll start with you. Of course. Finish these sentences after me, if you don't mind. When I was younger, I always wanted to be on the stage. <laughs> ah, thespian. Uh, Interesting. Okay. Thespian. Okay. I know. Triple threat, but it wasn't, unfortunately. It was just <laughs> deal three. Wasn't good at any of them. <laughs> oh, okay. Does that ever come out? Have you treaded the boards anytime recently, or, or is this a, a long no. distant memory? Amdram has definitely, uh, I've hung up my, uh, my, my shoes, uh, not treaded any boards recently, but, um, but I'm sure now I've put it out there. Maybe, maybe uh, there'll be calls for, uh, doing another <laughs> Thripney opera or something. I don't know. L- love it. Love it. My first job was? A fishmonger. <laughs> no way. Yeah. That is a first. Incredible. Really? You've got to tell us more, more about fishmongers. That. No. Oh, I mean, that's amazing. It, it was it was at Waitrose. So, but it was every Wednesday and Saturday. I can gut fillet steaks, skin fish till the cows come home. I just can't actually cook it very well. Um, but uh, but you know, a new pescatarian drive. I am trying to do more of that. <laughs> that is a real skill, though. Amazing. I love these. I, honestly, yeah. the, the answers we get is quite, are quite incredible. My biggest achievement in my career to date is? Oh, I, I, it has to be starting Uncommon, to be honest. So starting your own business, obviously. That's, That's a very well. fair answer. Well, we're going to talk a lot more about Uncommon as the conversation develops. I wish I could be better at? Probably patience. You stole on mine, Natalie. <laughs> I knew oh, that no. was going to be yours as well. Uh, oh, spoiler no. Well, we are spoiler quite similar. <laughs> My biggest vice is? Uh, nice wine and cheese, which makes Italy and France a little bit of a nightmare. But yeah. Oh, I think nice there'll be a, a lot of people nodding along to that one. That's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm guilty of that too. And finally, can you share something that we would learn from your CV? So that could be a perceived failure or a setback in your career that you've learned from? Well, I was trying to think back at this. I mean, I think 
I'm quite candid on my on my CV as it is, but uh, I guess the only thing people wouldn't know is that about two and a bit years into launching Uncommon, my appendix burst. Obviously, no warning, pretty scary oh consequences um, for quite a few months. And I'm perfectly healthy now. It was absolutely fine, That's but it obviously horrible. kind of completely comes out of the blue. So, so yeah, I mean, not not long into starting a, a new company, that was that was pretty full on. Poor um, you. So, That's uh, awful. Yeah, <laughs> it was a bit scary at the time but um totally fine now and i guess it just look, makes you look in the mirror and think about the importance of health for myself and the team but uh, ironically just before the pandemic so um so yes oh my goodness that's, that's uh, probably something that uh took yeah me that's a there. really good one yeah that's a really good one and uh not a lot you can do about that sort of thing and that uh, i guess it tests your resilience and resolve when you're <laughs> relatively early in starting a business so i can imagine that would have been Definitely. particularly stressful oh well thank you for thank <laughs> you for sharing that natalie um or we'll come to you i already know one of your answers but we'll uh, we'll pleasure. go from the top mm-hmm. When you were younger, what did you want to be? I was a super fun and cool teenager, so I wanted to change the world either through business or politics, and that's the true answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I love that. I love that. And uh, and what was your first job? I worked in the local shopping centre where I served people jack potatoes and salad. It was a super glamorous job. You could have done with some fish. Yeah, there was there was, was the fish say. guys two stands down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you missed out there. Or oh, you missed out. <laughs> my biggest achievement in my career today is still a work in progress, but I would say what we're building with Unrest, even what we've done so far, is by far the most exciting and, and fun thing I'm doing. Good man. I'm, no, we're gonna talk a bit more about that. I wish I could be better at. Yeah, same as Natalie, patience. Just uh <laughs> just just can't yeah. seem to muster it with a lot even with a lot of All effort. All three of us. <laughs> All three of us. This is definitely a this is definitely a founder trait, isn't it? Impatience. Oh dear. My biggest fight is FOMO. So I really struggle if someone tells me a good plan. Yeah, it, it's led me down uh, lots of uh, <laughs> late nights <laughs> and uh, interesting choices. Uh, we, well, okay, we might save some of these for the for the pub, unless you want to share any of these stories. Uh, maybe later. <laughs> maybe later if we have time. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, can you share something that we wouldn't learn from your CV? So a perceived failure or setback that you learned from? Oh, it's going to be a failure. I mean, a lot of the jobs that I left were probably more by mutual consent than my CV may exhibit. Uh, and that's mostly because I got uh, either quite bored, not challenged enough, impatient with what was happening. So you probably wouldn't see that from the CV. I, in general, just a note on CVs, think that they are a pretty limited way of just seeing anyone's suitability for a job. You get so little about people's soft skills and their character. And yeah, I find them quite limiting in general. So we have quite an interesting way we're hiring our roles at the moment, which I'm, I'm sure um, you know a little bit about, James. Yes, yes, indeed. Well, we can definitely come on and talk a bit about hiring and talent and culture later. Um, it's something that I'm particularly passionate about. And uh, yeah, uh, thank you so much all. And thank you, Natalie. I think Phil, we've already got a, a a snippet into uh, into you both and I can't wait to dive into the rest of the conversation. I have the pleasure of knowing you both and working with you both um, as a board member of Unrest. So this is a particularly exciting conversation for me. But before we talk about Unrest and Uncommon, we'd love to learn a bit more about your earlier careers. So can you both give us a quick sort of 30 second rundown snapshot of your career to date why don't we start with uh, we'll start with all this time cool yeah so um i started working at procter and gamble so i was put on gillette brawn so female hair removal which was a really fun job straight out of uni found it quite uh dis- you know quite honestly the values and the morals at both those companies really weren't weren't what aligned with mine so for the next kind of seven eight years i helped uh startup founders who were building mostly mission-driven startups uh, ended up sitting on their boards, working within their businesses as a head of brand, uh, an advisor. I dated a founder. So for the last nine years, I've been kind of founder central and startup central and then set up on rest almost two years ago now. And I'm sure we're going to come on to that. Brilliant. Thank you. And, and Natalie, do you mind giving us your uh, career snapshot? Is it possible to do 20 years in 30 seconds? I mean, <laughs> I'll, I'll try. Give it your uh, best 20 shot. plus years, actually. I mean, I guess I never had the kind of, as I've already said, I, I wanted to be on the stage. So I first started looking out, trying to find ways to be either behind the camera or in front of it. 
and uh, kind of fell into marketing and advertising. But when I was at university, I started working with Red Bull. Um, sadly, they didn't give me one of those cool cars to drive around in. I was I was in the marketing team, but I learned quite a lot about about marketing at that point. And uh, so straight out of university, after I'd been studying psychology, I went into advertising in 2000. So a good, good many years ago and started working for a number of different companies, uh, but mainly independently owned companies, which is relatively unusual in the advertising industry but worked in the UK, also did a stint in Amsterdam, worked with some of the biggest and best brands from, you know, BBC, Sony, Coca-Cola, Vodafone, a bunch of different brands as I went. But I guess, I mean, to the point of like, what's a highlight and where do I think, you know, that career has gone so far? Obviously, it's easy in hindsight. It's, uh, it's wobbly along the way, but mainly I've worked for a lot of founders. And that's probably one of the themes of my career from the beginning has been uh, until I started my own company, obviously working with a lot of founders as I, as I went along. And that's that's just been really, really nice to be part of those sorts of organizations, but also to to see it with real close proximity as to how to start a, a company from scratch. Brilliant. And that there's definitely a founder theme here that I'm getting from both of your career journeys. So thank you so much for sharing. Natty, you, you, you mentioned your career and it really is an illustrious one in, in advertising and marketing. And I know you spent a, a number of years on the exec team at Grey London, working alongside Sir Martin Sorrell, who's a very well-known figure. What have been the highlights, would you say, from your career? You've clearly done lots of great things. You've, you've worked with some amazing founders, but is there like one particular moment that had a, a real meaningful impact on your career or something that helped define it into the leader that you are today? I mean, I think I've I've probably already touched on it, to be honest. The the main thing, there's not kind of one moment, but definitely working for other founders, it's their baby. You know, they're they're helping to grow it that you recognize the ability that that one person or a group of people at the top have to change the fortunes of not how just how you spend your day, but also the sorts of companies they want to choose to work with. And I think that, you know, as I've as I've grown up in the industry, that's been quite a left, left quite a lasting impression on me in terms of how I wanted to carry myself, what was good and bad about how uh, I wanted to build a company in future, and also just recognizing some things uh, as you as you go as you get older and as you see things play out as to understanding what it means to be a founder and how how best to carry yourself with the team as we get bigger. Oh thank you. Yeah. And I, I think we we often learn as much about the from our experiences about the companies that, you know, I, I had I'd say a couple of experiences of people that I've worked with in the past where I've probably learned more from how bad they are or, you know, just the bad example they set. Um, and I think as as founders, you take the good and the bad from your experience, don't you? And and kind of combine them to hopefully be, you know, a better version of what you know. Or you you talked about, you know, you've done the, the big corporate grad scheme, you've worked with founders and, and startups across all different sort of scales. What would you say from those experiences are the key skills that you've learned that have helped you now that you are a founder yourself? Are there any particular things that have been very transferable? Yeah, first, just to um, reflect what Natalie said as well. I think in my first sort of five years of working in the world of work, I just had a series of awful bosses until I kind of came across the first boss that was actually good. And in those early years, I just thought like, fuck, is this what the world of work is like? Like, this is awful. <laughs> this is not for me. This is just grim. And it was just found myself super frustrated all the time with the environments that I was in. And actually, it was nothing to do with my skill set or how I was. It was actually just coming up across things that were not being done in the most effective way for employees. And so I think just to reflect that, you know, one of the biggest things that we've learned and I've carried through is this idea of uh, the importance of culture and why is a strong culture and a culture that empowers and allows people to make the best use of their unique talents is is really important. And so, you know, the, the things we do with our team is really leaning into people's strengths and helping them understand what their strengths are. So that kind of people side is, is, is really, really critical. And, you know, I've really carried that forward. I think I had a boss who was 
um, a certified psychopath once. And actually what that taught me was a lot around mental wellness and why you need founders who are resilient and who are mentally well. And so actually, you know, the bad experiences have definitely taught me a significant amount. In terms of good stuff, I think Procter & Gamble and L'Oreal are you know, pretty structured, there's ways of doing things. And that's, that's super, super helpful. I think it's a really good starting point for, for anyone when they build any project. And then I went and did startup for kind of seven years, which was all about the hustle, all about moving fast. And actually what, what we try and teach our founders is knowing when to build structure and when to get into process and when you just need to act quick. And how do you build a, a startup that allows for, you know, a hundred millions worth of growth, but also you're moving really quickly as you are in the kind of early stages of the business. So just seeing that play out time and time again over the last kind of seven to nine years has been a huge lesson, to be honest. Brilliant. Thank you. Natalie, for anyone that hasn't heard of Uncommon Creative, can you tell us a bit more about your mission and what inspired you to build it with your co-founders, Niels and Lucy? Yeah, sure. So Uncommon primarily has started in what's loosely called the advertising industry, but uh, but our tentacles go far wider than that. Um, we're a creative studio and we're focused on on building brands that people in the real world are actually glad exist. <laughs> it's probably the the easiest way to say it. We started at the end of 2017. And so in a bit four and a bit years, we've grown to being around 100 people based in Clerkenwell. And it's it's going pretty well. So we, I guess the, the reason we started, um, the three of us used to run one of the big advertising agencies in London. That was all going very well. And, you know, we were winning awards and what have you. But there was a real frustration that we had with the status quo and it kind of felt like the world was on fire. And sadly, it probably is more now than, than ever. But what was frustrating is it just felt like people were just carrying on as normal, not just in the advertising industry, but just writ large. There was definitely this sense of actually we could be doing more, but, but how do you do that? And and actually just carry on as normal and maybe stick our head in the sand and it will be okay. And I guess certainly... For marketing or for advertising agencies, you know, three quarters of the brands could disappear and no one would care. At least in the West, we've we've reached peak stuff, as many call it. And I think certainly if you're in the business of making things, there's a button called skip ad and people are paying good money to avoid what we spend on our lives making. So I think for, for those reasons and many, many more, it just felt like we couldn't keep going as we were. And for us, that's all quite positive, actually, because once you recognize that that's some of the forces that are at play, it actually feels like some brands and some businesses can really make a difference and can really change things where maybe governments can't or won't step in. And I think we're particularly seeing that right now. But for us, that's really inspiring. And and I think genuinely, uh, businesses and brands, I'm sure, will come on to talk about it. I do really feel like they... They can be incredibly valuable, not just financially, but also to society. And so for us, that's why we started was to try and work with those really ambitious brands that, that want to lean into that, that recognize their place in the world and to help them define that, either existing brands or startups. Amazing. It's, it's going all right. Yeah, well, it's definitely going all right. You've won lots of awards. You've run incredible campaigns. What's been your favorite campaign, if you're allowed to say, that you've worked on with Uncommon and why? What made it stand out? Oh, goodness. People say it's like choosing between your children. I don't have kids, but in this instance, it's like choosing between my bunnies. Uh, I have two rabbits. Um, (laughs) um, I guess the one I'm really proud of the Uncommon team for, for doing is an initiative we did for ITV. Britain get talking and I mean most recently it's hit a hundred million conversations as a result of the campaign and it's recognized as the UK's most recognized mental health campaign which I think is phenomenal and given how much it's being talked about you know mental health is being talked about across the nation and rightly so I think to be making such a difference with such a wide-reaching platform is something to, to definitely be be proud of so yeah, for me, for me, that's that's been an incredible initiative. I mean, it started just before lockdown, but as soon as lockdown happened, we moved to move even faster and bring in the likes of Sir Captain Tom and many different celebrities to to all get involved. But 
you know, I think I think it was really shocking when we realised the statistic from the NHS that 48% of, uh, sorry, anxiety and depression in children have risen 48% since 2004. And I'm sure it's a lot worse now as well. So the fact that, you know, a, a national broadcaster with that sort of platform, that sort of influence and that sort of reach has not just recognise that they have the opportunity to influence behaviour and, and bring about change in a positive way, but they've also used that platform and all the celebrities and influence that they have with uh, across the whole channel, and they, they put that all into trying to, to make a difference. And, and so I'm delighted that it's, it's making such a, a difference for, for people. Yeah, I mean, it's such an amazing campaign. And, and as you said, I mean, everybody listening to this will, will know people impacted by mental health will probably have uh, no children now that have suffered hugely as a result of, you know, the the pandemic and the, the isolation that's come with that and, and, and the challenges. So it must, I can't imagine how rewarding it feels to to be behind something like that and uh, I think it just goes to show like you really can have a great impact with the work you do and I think that's something that I think we you know I've talked about on the podcast before with with my own business you know a lot of people say well you just get people jobs but I like to see it as well you can change someone's life by getting them an incredible job and I think just like you can do with campaigns and and startups you can really change the world and I think it's just a, a matter of perspective and you know looking at it through that lens or oh, I'd love to I'd love to talk to you a bit about the the inspiration for unrest um, so we've heard a bit about uncommon and we're going to talk about how these worlds collide in a minute but where did the inspiration come from and can you tell our listeners a bit about unrest mission and and how the accelerator works yeah, of course, man. So it might be useful just to mention what Unrest does at a top line. So in case um, people aren't familiar. So we help entrepreneurs build globally scalable businesses that have impact or mission or ESG at their core. Uh, so we fundamentally believe the world of profit and purpose is the world of the future. And we need thousands more entrepreneurs and startups building impact-driven companies. So companies like Allbirds, which... I've seen Nat and the team have done uh, some awesome work for as well. Actually, a lot of Uncommon's clients are brands that we look up to. So the Method family, even the Guardian, some amazing campaigns around topics that we care a lot around diversity with the H&M campaign. And obviously, you know, even kind of when things kicked off with uh, diversity on ITV, uh, I loved seeing all your all your ads. But um, fundamentally, what kind of inspires us is problems that we see in the world. And so when I sat there for seven, eight years, helping founders, both really practically in their businesses, but also emotionally, and was kind of, you know, friends, and, and, and as I said, dating founders, you really understand the problems that founders are going through. And for me, it just felt like there's this incredible force that can change the world that is being restricted by lack of resources, lack of knowledge, uh, lack of mental ability, kind of resilience and lots of kind of challenges that they're facing. So for me, it was really seeing this incredibly powerful potential in a group of people being hampered to some degree by a range of aspects. And so unrest is fundamentally built to solve those problems for founders. It's about turbocharging the journey that you're already on. So we always say to founders, we believe in you. We think you're going to make it with or without us. You're just going to make it much faster and have the potential to go and be much bigger. Because what we've done is we brought together experts in every one of these areas that we've identified as areas that can hold people back. And so really our fundamental mission is how do we change every single company that is being launched to have impact at its core? And obviously that is a fucking ridiculous goal that we are never going to achieve on our own, which is why building brand-led businesses and building it with Uncommon, who are the best in the world and making brands famous, it creates a ripple that is much bigger than what we do. So, you know, we may be able to put... 250 million of capital to work over the next 10 years. But the example that we can set for other people will be far more powerful and will bring a lot more capital and will inspire, well, we hope will inspire a change in how founders think about setting up businesses. And yeah, so we are, we're excited about what we're doing, but we also are going to be loud and proud and shouty and pretty activist about what we do. And that's something that, you know, Uncommon are, are phenomenally good at. And we're 
yeah, blessed to, to be working with them on that. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, I am a huge fan of what you're doing and, and I love the collaboration and I, and I hope Everyone listening to this will, uh, will will get straight on the internet and check it out. And I'm sure there's going to be lots of budding entrepreneurs that are inspired by what they're going to hear today. So how can they get involved and, and why should they apply? Here's your chance to give a further elevator pitch. <laughs> I mean, you can literally apply on our website. I think we've got the application process down to less than five minutes. So it's dead, dead easy to get started. Uh, just jump on unrest.world and apply. Why should you get involved? I think I touched upon it. So look, we, we've built a program that is over 160 hours of everything that a founder needs. We focus on things like brand and impact as part of our USP. Um, and that's because those are the things that are competitive uh, USP advantages for those businesses that are being built. But alongside that, we have got everything from accounting to legal to people plans to embedding impact to building your brand to executive coaching, etc. Fundamentally, what we've done is we've built a program that just accelerates what you're already going to do. So, you know, we estimate that coming onto the Unrest program kind of reduces the length of time on your startup journey by between a year to two years. And that's because we've just looked at all the stuff that is going to make your business more successful. And we've gone and gathered that resource for you rather than you having to ring up six law firms, six accountants, find out what an ASA is, what is a convertible note, which one should we use? Should you do a raise or should you do a note, etc.? All of that stuff is in one place. And so, you know, every question you have is likely that we can solve, you know, really, really quickly. So it's a massive time saver. Um, and then I think the kind of relationship with Uncommon is pretty unheard of across Europe. There's very, very few, if any, accelerators that focus on impact and brand and actually will allow you as a founder to come in and get a brand by the world's strongest creative agency as part of your accelerator program. Uh, it's, a, it's a huge, huge USB uh, for, for our program and it's super, super exciting. It certainly is. And Natty, I'd love to hear how you ended up getting involved in and yeah, just to extend on, on uh, or build upon what all said there, like what, what is your role uh, with Unrest? Totally. I mean, look, for, from our point of view, it was a, a huge no-brainer as soon as we met all. I mean, in short, we're, we're massive fans of brands, as I think I've probably explained already. And we do believe that brands can literally change the world. But in order to do that, um, it's a lot easier to do it if you build it from the ground up. And uh, the world is literally on fire. So uh, there is no time like the present to try and fix these things. So I think the more that we can be the firepower behind those brands that are going to change the world and help them do it fast and better and use all of our expertise and experience from working with some of the world's biggest and best brands and established brands and understanding where they get it right and where they get it wrong, I think is is hopefully helpful for helping anyone who's starting out on that journey. And from our point of view, that's incredibly exciting. That's something where we really feel like we've got a lot to give. We've started some of our own brands from the beginning. We started a compostable coffee company called Halo. We've started a range of candles during lockdown to give back to the hospitality industry who were suffering a range of candles called sense of normality but for us this feels like an amazing partnership between uncommon and unrest because it's the ability to really make that impact happen across a lot more brands a lot quicker and for us to really help them uh, in defining why they exist where is their market how can they use that as positive momentum for the growth of their business and how do we help them breathe that brand into everything that they're building at this early stage you know, everything from internal behaviours, why they get out of bed every day, you know, literally baked into the walls in hopefully a positive way that their customers can experience in future as well. So, you know, applying our design team, our makers, our, our strategists to projecting that bigger shadow so that they can literally be out in the world or sit side by side alongside established brands on your phone and you won't know the difference you'll just hopefully pick the one that is moving with your conscience. Um, Love it. And that would be our hope. Love it. It really is a perfect uh, sort of collaboration and such like mission-driven companies as well coming together to build the brands of the future, I think, and the, the, the startups that can change the world. And, and I, I guess that's where I wanted to go with this conversation next, Natalie, is 
you talked about you really do believe that brands can change the world and for those that don't understand i must admit i, I probably a little while back before meeting you i probably didn't really get it so what's the difference between a business and a brand and how have brands evolved over the years and um, well quick disclaimer i'm not scott galloway so <laughs> I, i'm not um not professor in marketing um and, and never did never studied marketing actually either oh, well but, uh, well that in itself don't, for don't anyone listening anyone. <laughs> is inspiring in itself <laughs> i didn't either natalie <laughs> Oh, okay. I mean, I think, look, historically, the way that businesses are seen as businesses are the organization that produces something, a product or a service. And uh, primarily, it was something you did to make money and end of that was it. Otherwise, it's a hobby or a charity. Thank you very much. Uh, Which sounds quite cold and calculated. And the brand was a seal of reassurance to set expectations as to that your product's going to deliver and what it says it will. And obviously build up over time through customer perceptions and expectations. Arguably a brand is uh, is a company, a business's most valuable asset because it's the thing that actually can raise your your profile. It can weather storms as a result of the strength of your brand um, if you have a, a little glitch in sales. But I think, you know, that's historically, and there are obviously exceptions, so it's easy to get too binary on these things. But I think, thankfully, that that distinction between business and brand has been a lot more blurred over the years. And, you know, brands these days, or the brand of a, of a business, can really define more than just a logo and how you talk to people in advertising. It really should be how you show up in the world. You know, how do you behave when the chips are down, either in your company or in society? What talent do you hire and why should they work with you, quite frankly? And how do you treat everyone in your supply chain? And I think that realization that the internal brand and the external facing brand need to be aligned, otherwise you'll get found out, has been a real shift. I think social media obviously changed how brands were built and how quickly they their fortunes could rise or fall because of the Twitterati. But I think over time, actually, your employees are almost your most important advocates and ideally for anyone starting a business or or running a business you've got to look inside first and it's got to feel true but ultimately a brand is a story and hopefully you can make someone feel better as a result of of how you tell that story and it should help you make the right calls in business it um but but they shouldn't be confused in being the same thing i love that i think that's that's exactly how we um, we talk to our cohorts, actually. And back in the day when we didn't have, as you said, social media and transparency across things like supply chain, you could probably get away with being really, really shitty behind the scenes. Uh, you didn't have Glassdoor. You didn't have kind of employees going in on, on the news. You didn't have any of these kind of open letters. You would just have like, you know, uh, companies basically greenwashing in uh even though that term wasn't around and employees kind of just you know having no outlet no way to deal with that and today we just live in a totally different world and that kind of alignment from your external brand to the way you treat people internally is so critical now and that's one of the big things that we you know we look to embed and actually um uncommon's values which they have up on their wall are, are really inspiring they're um some of the coolest values i've seen on any company wall uh, actually, and it's really, really critical that that stuff is really, really authentic and aligned all the way to the founder. You know, we, the first session we have with startups is start with why, like, why the fuck do you care about this problem? Why are you going to spend 10 years of your life, tears, 12 hours a day, et cetera, et cetera, on this problem? Like, really, why do you care? And it's got to start with the founding, founding team. So true. So true. And I think what we're seeing is an increasing number. I mean, pretty much every candidate that comes to us, whether they're an executive or a graduate, uh, you know, everybody wants to work for a purpose-driven brand that stands for something and that is doing some good in the world. And I think, as you said, you if you're not authentic, you will get found out, you'll get called out <laughs> and there's no real hiding place anymore. And I think, I think the truly great companies now that, you know, from the receptionist to the boardroom, you know, that just, it just emanates from every single person in there, just that purpose. And I think it's so much easier for us. This is why we naturally gravitate towards those sorts of businesses, frankly, selfishly, one, because we believe in them and we love 
brands that are doing good. But two, it's much easier to sell. You don't have to sell them because that's what people want. Um, and so it's a win-win. It tr- truly is. Or based on your experience of working with purpose-driven companies and brands, what are some of the fundamentals that founders listening to this need to sort of embed from the, from the outset when they start their companies? Yeah, great question. Uh, one we deal with a lot. So there's two things I just draw founders' attention to. One is thinking about the impact of the what you do. So what is your actual product or service that you're building and how impactful is that? And I'll, I can come back and kind of talk a little bit more on that if that's of interest. And the second part is how do you do it? And so whether that's the way you treat your suppliers, that's the culture that you're talking about, that's, you know, uh, even the tone that you speak in, that's the diversity on your board or in your team, et cetera. So there's two things, the what and the how. So when you think about the what, for, so I'll give, you, I'll give you kind of a real life example. Uh, we've got an app here that charges, I think it's kind of five pounds a month and it helps people who are the most vulnerable within the LGBTQI plus community. One of the things that we are thinking about is how do we make that app accessible to as many people as possible? So the what of your product is really, really brilliant. You're already serving an underserved community. How do you go even further and think about serving the most number of people within that community? And also, how do you think about within that community, there are groups that are particularly underserved? And how do you reach those people within your app? So it's it, the, the kind of what of your impact goes far beyond just, okay, well, I make a juice that's got less sugar in it. So therefore I am good. Let's go a step beyond that and think what parts of the people that you're serving are being underserved or how can you reach more people to have a bigger impact? So that's the what. The how you do it is anything from, you know, how do you treat your employees? Do you have suppliers who are in China that you don't really have any idea about how they're building your fabrics, for example, or how they're treating their employees over there? But actually, you're treating your employees fantastically in your office with nice uh, Friday cocktails, etc. But you don't really care about your suppliers, for example. That would be a kind of failure in how in our in our books or. You know, you saw the brew dog example, you know, really feisty, uh, external, strong brand, like doing really, really well on that side. And then, you know, um, some some strong allegations on, on one of the founder around behavior internally, which doesn't necessarily quite align with what the external is. So the how you do it has become far more critical. And I think startups get it far more than big businesses, but it's certainly kind of a, a fairly new say almost the last 10 years, I don't know, Nat, if you have a view on that, but uh, I've certainly seen a kind of a decade old trend on, on the how being far more important now. Yeah, I, I definitely have seen a rise of it. I also think there are some amazing big businesses that have been trying to address that for some time. Yes, it takes longer. Yes, it's sometimes harder. No, they're not starting with a blank piece of paper, but I think there is a general recognition that doing good is good for business. And that that applies at all levels of business. I think some are just a bit slower than others to get there. But um, my hope is maybe optimistically that 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 will be the force with ESG reporting and what have you, that that every business has to address their their whole supply chain and how they work. Otherwise, consumers will vote with or customers will vote with their wallets or employees, as you rightly said, James, just won't work for them. And we we have to recognize the people power on all levels. Before we continue with today's episode, I was wondering if I could ask you a small favor. We absolutely love sharing our guests' inspiring stories with you. And I can't thank you enough for being one of our loyal listeners. But feedback is so important. So if you have any suggestions on how we can make 40 Minute Mental even better, or you just want to tell us how much you love the show or a particular episode, then we would love to hear from you. So please head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash 40mm and leave us a review. We really, really appreciate it. That's ratethispodcast.com forward slash 40mm. Thank you so much. And we can't wait to hear from you. One of the brands, Natalie, that I guess is heralded in this space is Patagonia. What can listeners or founders sort of learn from their example? And how can others replicate the sort of success that they've had? What is it that stands out in a brand like Patagonia and others like it? I mean, there's, there's, Patagonia are an amazing example, aren't they? Um, 
and uh, I don't profess to know everything that they do, but they seem to continue to surprise and delight me with uh, with what they get up to and how much they poke the system. And they're a really good example of stepping in when when governments, quite frankly, are not willing to put their money where their mouth is. <laughs> so definitely, uh, I feel that they 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 definitely walk the talk. I mean, look, there's there's so many examples, and I've got a bit of a, a professional crush on David Hyatt as I know many of the Uncommon team do. So if you haven't read his his book, it's it's literally here in front of me. I know this isn't going out on video, but read Do Purpose, which is his book, or listen to some of his Do lectures. But it's a great place to start to just read and devour all of his principles as to how to go about, you know, trying to replicate success of, of purpose-driven brands or go on the unrest accelerator yes. program. Um, <laughs> Good plug. Exactly. I think the fundamentals are that, as all's already said, I mean, I think you, you've got to work out where you're passionate to make a difference and, and really tap into attention in society, something where you spot that the values of the way society professes to um, believe <laughs> don't match up with the actions that society takes. And I think there is where you can potentially make a difference and also potentially where there is chance for fame and uh, and to shine a light on it. But fundamentally, and, and Patagonia live this all the time, a principle isn't a principle unless it costs you something. And so you do have to show up and you do have to be willing to, to put your neck on the line for, for something that you've believed in. Otherwise, it becomes greenwashing. So, you know, I think the the one thing I would say, though, is that I don't believe that that perceived cost of doing things in the right way it can be quite a short-term cost i think longer term sticking with your principles i think or i believe what we're seeing is that because sticking to your principles is good for business it will ultimately result in making it easier to hire and retain talent than your competitors it will build affinity and drive loyalty with with customers who see the world like you do and and ultimately it's it's just genuinely very inspiring to want to be part of that change. So, you know, hopefully that is also something that everyone will want to drive into and, and build with you. And, you know, founders are are only the start of it. You have to build a, a team around a vision, don't you? And I think making a positive dent in the world is a pretty inspiring place to start. That's so true. Oh, I'd, I'd love just to, for our listeners' sake for you to tell us a bit about the cohorts that you've had in the, in the accelerator so far. Just a, a bit about you know some some of the missions of of those businesses and uh, yeah, anything else that you can tell us uh, that we should keep an eye out for the you know brands of the future. Awesome. Yeah, so maybe I'll talk a look around a few of the themes. We've got health and wellness. So we've got anything from mental wellness. I talked about the LGBTQI. Uh, plus app that um, is called Calder and I highly recommend anyone from that community or, or wider to check that out. We have products within that space that is around, I don't know if we know, but kind of 126 recently made mums suffer from a range of issues which are highly preventable. And so we've got uh, an app called Agnes Health, which is built in AI powered effectively pediatrician, maternity nurse, kind of post-birthing partner. It has got everything that you might need um, on that journey. And it's it's really built to prevent, you know, really unsustainable, you know, 5 million mums die a year. Um, 126 have ongoing issues after birth. And a lot of those are preventable. So Agnes is looking to solve that. We've got people in the um, alternative protein space. So we've got Planty who build um, amazing, almost Michelin star level frozen meals coming to your door. Bold Bean, who are, again, a beautiful source of protein as a good natural alternative. They also um, add nitrates back into the soil. So lots of stuff around um, the kind of alt protein space as well, which is a, a huge space for us to to be tackling. And, you know, we've got people in the, in the financial sector as well. So DeFi, um, City Coins, looking at how we keep cash in the local economy. Uh, at the moment, we've got people like Amazon sucking out billions of uh, pounds out of the UK economy. And I think uh, their last tax bill was about 20 million. Um, and so lots of interesting stuff taking on big, big players in the space. Everyone has at least one or two international billion dollar plus competitor that they're taking on and we absolutely encourage them to go full in and take them on 
do it yes i feel like i need one of those like pantomime boo hiss uh, like <laughs> buttons when when those kind of amazon comes along just swallowing things up no amazing ah oh, well look so many exciting companies there for us to to keep an eye on and i'm sure as they come through the accelerator they'll, they'll go on to do incredible things so we'll keep a close eye on that but i think and this is really to, to both of you um i think business's purpose and, and we've touched around this companies purposes need to sit at the core of its culture uh, culture is something that you know, it comes up in all the time on this podcast and in, in everyday conversation because it's so essential to attracting, retaining great talent. And what advice do you have for any leaders that are listening to this that um, yeah, that want to kind of embed purpose within their culture? And are there any real shining lights in, in, in the startup world uh, of companies that have done that really successfully? I mean, I'll, I'll start if you like, or I mean, I from my point of view, I feel like it's always good to try and outline it from the start if you if you have that that benefit, because it's remarkable how quickly people make up their own assumptions about what your culture should be, and you're you're here. That's not how we do it here. Quite quickly, and that can run away from a founder um, quite quickly. So, I mean, at Uncommon, we we literally wrote that up before we started, so that in six months' time, we we wouldn't have woken up and realised we turned into a bunch of dicks. We we tried to make sure that we were getting it right from the beginning, and you know, it's on the wall as all has mentioned, but mainly so people can call us out on it because we won't always get it right. And I think some of the that humility is part of the way that you have to you have to drive culture in purposefully. It isn't it isn't a, a, a woolly thing. It isn't, let's go to the pub. It is about trying to make sure that you hold each other to account on the things that you find important and why people would want to continue to work with you. So I think the other thing to say is it's never a given. You can never say it enough. And it's really important, therefore, to try and have a few totems or things, acts, behaviors, gestures that remind and reinforce what you're about and why that's important to you. So I saw a really good surf brand. Um, in fact, I think there's quite a few of them where they they literally started later and finished and broke for lunch earlier to catch the waves wherever they were based. And for me, that's a really good exemplar of actually, it's really good for the people that work for that brand. They get to actually build their knowledge and hopefully indulge their love of surfing and also wouldn't you prefer to buy a surfboard from someone who knows their difference between a longboard and a boogie board than someone who didn't have any time to go surfing because they're stuck in the shop the whole time so I think I think recognizing that actually culture can become a, a point of difference for your business as well as actually something you live and breathe every day I mean I couldn't agree with that more I think just to come back to your question and kind of highlight where what we'd recommend for people to do. So if I was to give a, a, a quick, just one, two, three kind of list, understand your personal why. You've got to understand your, your own self, because as the leader of a startup, you inevitably imprint some of yourself on that startup. So you need to know yourself what's the good, what's the bad, uh, and why are you doing this? And when you kind of work out what's the less helpful, the less healthy, Go do some work on that because that eventually can grow into a, a really, really challenging thing for the business. Because in the early years, your behavior is the thing that's kind of setting that the, can set the tone of the business. So we highly encourage you to go and just work on that. We provide executive coaches. So we have six hours of coaching per founder and in, in, as part of the accelerator. And that's because we, we put a high uh, value on that. Also understand what's happening in the market, what's happening in culture, what's happening with your consumers. Have a look around what feels right, what feels wrong. You know, behaviors that today are so out of date, even 10 years ago were acceptable. So don't just think about what's happening today. Start thinking about the future as well. And then what does your product do? So Natalie, I love that example of the, of the surfing. I worked in a company that was all about you know, getting breakfast up early and doing stuff in the day. And, you know, part of our culture was being like morning people, which I wasn't, by the way, but um, <laughs> had to, you know, went along with them. We do like runs in the morning and, you know, go and like stand up paddling every morning. I was just like, <laughs> it's great for the, great for the brand, great for the culture. And you actually embed yourself in the lifestyle of your consumers. And that is just worth its weight in gold. If you are just in the same mindset and get it, you're making brand decisions, you're making distribution decisions, your website, everything that you do 
is just going to be 10 times better because you just freaking get it because you're also in the same mindset yourself. So a culture is so valuable because ultimately it helps across thousands of little decisions. So it's one of those things that's really hard to prove why it's so good, but actually in businesses that do it really well, like, you know, like you talked about, like Patagonia, like some of the startups we actually have here, you know, it just translates into every little aspect of the business. So, you know, I think we're all, the three of us here are massive fans of building strong cultures and, and the value of that. But yeah, that's that's the kind of one, two, three, four, five that that we recommend for our founders. Thank you so much. We're sadly pretty much at our wrap-up questions. I'm going to squeeze in one more. Um, and, and it's actually linked to something we've spoken about earlier. We talked about the amazing campaign that Uncommon did around getting written talking. And, and I think, you know, founders have been proved to be more susceptible to suffering with their mental health. So I'd, I'd love to know, firstly, or can you tell us just a bit about how unrest is helping founders build up that uh, mental health resilience um, and why it's such an important part of your program, which I haven't seen elsewhere, to be honest with you. And then Natalie, I'd love just to know as a founder yourself that's been through this journey, like how you protect your own mental health because and, and that of your your team. So quick question, or you go first and then we'll jump to Natalie. Cool. So top line, we provide executive coaches. We do a weekly check-in with every founder team, which is called Office Hours, which is done by us. It's a very personal one-to-one. We also have about 24 hours of the program, which is dedicated to helping founders build physical, mental resilience. Some of it is even spiritual resilience. So we've had uh, the nutritionist that came in and, and helped the England rugby team win the Rugby World Cup quite some time ago now, come in and teach us how to look after our physical body. We've had, uh, as I said, kind of coaches and external speakers coming in and, and talking about resilience. And I think one of the things we just have to be acutely aware of is that founders are going to come under pressures that most people don't. So, you know, they're hyper responsible for other people. You know, Natalie and Niels and Lucy have a hundred people that, that they're ultimately responsible for. That is a huge amount of pressure. You know, founders acutely feel that responsibility because they've been working with those people for years on end. They're responsible for cash flow. They're also just, you know, we all put ourselves out there in the world in a really big way. And, you know, we shout about the successes, but also sometimes our failures are there and there's just so public you know that fear of failure and being judged by others is just inevitable uh when you're building a startup so the pressures are just significantly higher they are a different type of pressure than many people face and this idea that we just let a founder go and build a company and ignore that it comes with a unique set of pressures just feels kind of short-sighted uh, and in fact, 68% of startup failures come because of interpersonal conflict and dynamics. And actually, when you're not in your best state, that's those, those things just happen more and more. Um, and so we're just trying to help founders mitigate that risk. And we found it, to be honest, pretty strange that we're one of the only ones that are talking and thinking about this right now. So uh, we hope that the industry catches up really quickly with this. 100%. Yeah, Natalie, yeah, over to you. So from my point of view, everything that Orr has said has definitely been part of, of my journey and our journey uh, since starting Uncommon. I don't think it's it was talked about as much when we first started, even you know four and a bit years ago, which is remarkable. But yeah, I think the main thing I've learned is if you haven't got energy for it, it just won't happen. And that continues to apply. And so you do have to work hard. I think anyone that says otherwise when you're starting a business is probably lying, but it is about saying no to things. It is about working smart and and letting it go and not worrying about the things you've said no to. If you if you have got clear principles, then you'll make the right calls and ultimately the truth will out or you wouldn't have been able to do it all anyway. So certainly from my point of view, the, the, the one thing that I hold dear is I have a list of grounding things that I try and do at least once a week that keep me sane and make me feel normal not just a massive to-do or achievement list that that is always about more because that's just inevitable of how you're going to run things and and that grounding list includes simple things like going for a walk calling my nan checking in with my mom and dad you know it's 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 simple stuff that quite frankly is easy to to lose yourself from in the in the maelstrom of the excitement of it all i love that yeah it's funny i i, I think i i had a bit of a moment of burnout and i one of the things I realized was just all the important things in life, you know, I, 
I work to look after my family. And yet I was working so hard that I was uh, useless, <laughs> you know, knackered, exhausted, stressed, grumpy. And and you just kind of sometimes you just need that moment of clarity to go, just get back to basics and just kind of look after yourself and, and you know, just spend quality time and be present with the people that you love. And yeah, it's amazing how the startup hustle has uh, kind of had that effect on people where they, they kind of lose sight of the really important things. But thank you so much for sharing, both of you. Uh, really, really powerful stuff. We're going to do the wrap-up questions. These are short and sharp. I've kept you far too long, but it's been wonderful to chat. In one sentence, what does the future hold for both Uncommon and Unrest? We'll come to you, Natalie, first. Lots of amazing brands that are going to change the world. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and what about Unrest or? We're launching Unrest 2, so Unrest outside of London. We are recruiting the next cohort, and we are launching kind of 540 companies who are going to change the world in the next six years. So got to get our skates on. <laughs> and at the end of your career, what do you both want to be remembered for? Uh, I want to be remembered for, God, it's awful thinking about it like that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be remembered for making a positive dent in not just in the world, but also uh, people's careers. You asked the same question, Natalie, in the uh, in the brand sessions. What would you have written on your tombstone, actually? <laughs> Love that question. What about you all? I would say very similar. Just, um, you know, I really want to look back and feel like I've made a significant contribution to a kinder, fairer and safer world. And that would be just perfect. Nice, nice. And if you could be mentored by one person, dead or alive, who would that be, and why? Uh, I just, I just want to shout out what you're doing with this podcast as well. I, I think that I've been lucky enough to have lots of really great mentors over over the years, and I'm a strong believer in it. And I think this idea of learning from someone and the way you're doing it on a podcast is is absolutely awesome. And I've I've loved being on this podcast, listening to the podcast, I mean, just the essence of it. I highly encourage people to seek out mentors, and just even if it's someone you think will never reply, go and you know email ten of those people with a really like compelling, exciting piece, and just just go for it. Uh, it, it it's, it's amazing. Thanks all. <laughs> yeah, you're very, very welcome. I love Obama. He's he's my main main man. If I could have Obama as my mentor, I'd be delighted. His, his resilience, his drive, his composure, his just ability to get shit done. He's an incredibly impressive human being. And if I could have anyone, I would I would go for him. Natalie? From my point of view, um, I mean, to be honest, how can anyone not be inspired by Volodymyr Zelensky at the moment? I mean, I I, I don't know that he's got any time, quite rightly, to uh, to mentor anyone. But I mean, his, his authenticity and passion at the moment is incredibly inspiring. But you know, just to bring us down to earth, um, probably David Hyatt, as I've already mentioned. I think I love how he's built his business and how lightly he carries his influence. So, yeah, great answers, both. Thank you. And. Final question. What last piece of advice would you leave our listeners with? That can be career advice, life advice, just a, a little bit of parting wisdom. What would you say, Natalie? I think, honestly, you just got to trust your gut as a person. I think um, have half a plan, as uh, my co-founder Lucy always talks about. Half a plan is better than than, than no plan. And I think there's always a, a worry that you have to have it perfect. I think women carry that particularly and that might be stereotyping, but I definitely felt like many of the women I've mentored in the past have carried that that reservation to jump in because they felt like they hadn't got the full plan. And so for me, it's that that kind of go with your gut, go with what you think you want to do as a person and uh, and how you want to be treated and have half a plan. Great advice. And all finally, what advice would you leave our listeners with? I love that. Thanks, Nat. I think lean into what you find fun and what you're good at. This world is a world of the long tail. And what that means is that there is a ton of opportunities everywhere, uh, even for very, very niche, very small interests um, or very, you know, quirky types of personality. I think this idea of conforming into a specific life path or career journey or uh, just way of being is just so dead so just lean into your passion lean into what you find fun and just 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 fucking go for it find find something in that realm and just and just crack on just do love it thank you both 
so much. It's been a real pleasure uh, and a joy. And I know it will have inspired uh, everyone listening. So uh, everyone, check out Unrest, check out Uncommon. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you all for giving us your time and mentorship. We really appreciate it. Pleasure. 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 Thanks for hosting, James. Cheers. Having worked with Natalie and all, I was not surprised at how engaging and insightful our chat was. I always find their passion for supporting purpose-driven entrepreneurs and brands so infectious. Working with top talent every day at JBM, I really know how crucial it is for businesses to have a strong and authentic purpose in today's job market. And Aura and Natalie have definitely confirmed this even more in today's episode. They shared so much great advice on how you can find your purpose and bring it to life within a team culture. I also love their honest take on the importance of focusing on your mental health and resilience, especially when you're a founder, something I can really relate to. Having been involved in Unrest since the beginning, I've been blown away by the caliber of the purpose-driven startups that have been through the early cohorts. And I have no doubt that under Orr and his co-founder Pan's leadership, and with Natalie and the Uncommon team's support, Unrest will create some of the best purpose-driven brands of the next decade and beyond. So if you want to learn more about Unrest or Uncommon, definitely check them out. We'll leave links to both in the show notes. Before I let you go, I also wanted to highlight another podcast that I really enjoy listening to, Out to Lunch with one of the world's top food critics, Jay Rayner. Here's a short preview of the podcast. Hello, and let me introduce you to Out to Lunch with me, Jay Rayner. It's the podcast in which I take a particularly brilliant famous person to a top restaurant and grill them to a turn. In this latest season, you'll find me having delicious dinners with the likes of Stephen Fry, Bill Bailey, Rose Matafeo, and Rob Bryden. So do join me, Jay Rayner, for Out to Lunch. Out now. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And that's it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in again. I really hope you're enjoying this series so far. And don't forget to subscribe so you're the first to know about our next episode. See you next week. <laughs>